Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft, career and what matters to them. Many production elements contribute to the success of a show, whether that be the orchestra in a musical, the lighting design in a play or the set and costumes. Each has a vital role in creating the world that we invest in. But how many of us notice and appreciate a smaller presence equally as important to demonstrate character and support the narrative? The properties or props used in a show give us access to character quirks and offer signposts to assist the storytelling. These items might include a basket for Maria von Trapp, a parrot-headed umbrella for Mary Poppins, a phonograph that records for Professor Henry Higgins, or a broomstick that releases smoke for the Wicked Witch of the West. To enlighten us about this role in the theatre, I am joined by Properties Master Bruce Ferguson. Bruce has designed and built props for an expanse of shows that include Wicked, The Addams Family, My Fair Lady, 42nd Street, La Cage Folle, and Anything Goes. Bruce shares fascinating insight to the journey undertaken in constructing and bringing life to objects that support the illusion we invest in when sitting in an audience. What did he say about when he used to waltz around with Melania Dietrichs? Yes. Well, well, I've heard that story. I, I can't remember whether it was in the episode or not, but yes, he used to put Dietrich's costume on. Well, not, not the, not the scot, just her cape, her famous swan down cape. Right. Used to go around the stage in it when he was security. <laughs> uh, the envy of every girl, I'm sure. It's so it's such a pity phones weren't around then to get it, you know. Mobile phones to get it. Well, that, that's what's missing, isn't it, from from those years? Mm. Um, oh, yeah, photographs of, yeah. of a whole range of things. Yes, yeah, yeah, because it was it's so easy, isn't it? Now, you know, you see, everyone's got this up. Yeah. And the mind boggles at how many images there are out there in the world, in in the cloud, and mm-hmm. I don't think photo albums exist when anymore. I, when I was in Korea and I saw that uh, New York version of Lacage, not a very good version, but you know that. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that was going to be beautiful because we're in Korea and you know, like lady boy things. They're the ugliest girls you'd ever seen. They were bow legged. They didn't teach them how to stand with that kinked leg, you know, give them that line. They bow-legged, legs apart. And um, at the end of it, I put my, my phone in cloaks because uh, it, it came on one time during a show and uh, everyone had it up. Like, you couldn't even see the finale because everyone had their phones up, like, videoing it at the end. That was in, like, 2012. And I thought, Jesus Christ, what's changed since then? Well, that's a whole phone etiquette. People just seem to whip it out. But people still do that, you know. Oh, surreptitiously. So. Yeah, because on stage, said someone in row, blah, 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 has got their mobile out, you know, video. You worked on the Australian production, original production of La Cage Revolve, yeah, yeah. didn't you? Mm. Where I think Arthur Lorenz said the, the crew were gayer than the, uh, the on-stage no, cast. I, I can't. Well, some of the, the straight mechs mightn't like that, but uh, David Worthy, straight, he was the head mech. No, there was a lot of... I thought, I thought the production team were gayer than the cast, you know, because most of them are dead then now. Yeah. But, you know, Arthur Lorenz, he had... Um, the chore- choreographer was gay. Everyone yeah. was gay. Fritz Holt, who was the... Yeah, Fritz Holt, yeah. And, um, but I don't know, the, yeah, the whole production company... Uh, 
teamwork gay. That's good. Uh, you did props on that? Yeah, yeah. So what sort of uh, articles did you have to construct well, for that? I used to call him Artie. Artie? Arthur Lorenz? Artie. Artie. Okay. Not Artie. 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 He was quite happy with that. And um, there, was a, there was a native carving on the, behind the sofa, which um, the son used to pull the penis off because it has a cigarette lighter in it. So I made... We got the carving, but it didn't have a penis. So I made a penis... And Arthur said, no, it's too small. You've got to have it big, big. So I made this like whopper. And he was quite happy because he just had a little big in the top of it to light whoever was having a cigarette. Michelle, whoever was having a cigarette. There was, gla- I, there was glassware, which I, I wanted in the show. So you always give a director two choices, the shit one and the, the one you want in it. So and he gave, he wanted the one I had, and now we got him quite well. So that production obviously was coming from New York, and uh, the original director was coming out, uh, yeah, Arthur yeah. Lorenz, and um, yeah. and the design too. So, do you receive designs for the props or what they should look um, like? We talk. The designer and I talk, and oh, we have oh, I have the Bible, and if if the designer comes out, the associate talks to me you know the assistant or something talks to me regarding whatever whatever's needed and then I just go from there and then I make it or buy it and um, then they go yay or nay and get something else but um, there's some designers that they say what they want and I just make it and it goes into the show because they're not really bothered with props a lot of the time so I just make, you know, what what I think's right or what I see in a program from overseas or something. Props are um, an essential part of the storytelling, and and uh, they require a very particular art. I imagine they they need to be sturdy and functional because, well, you know, like Wicked went for seven years. Mm. They've mm. got to they've got to last the the season, mm. don't they? Yeah, of course, of course. I used to I used to do shows. Uh, for a friend who used to used to do choreograph shows, and I'd say, does it have to last three days, a week, or a couple of months? So I'd make it, depending, and then the cost would go up because of what you ever make it out of. So some would only have to last for three days, you know, or or whatever. So, but yeah, most of the time it's a, a tour, so you have to, and you have spares, of course. And the aesthetic you've got to continue, consider as well, because it's not just a a case of make me an axe or make me a wand. It's mm. got to be a wand from that would fit in Wicked, or, oh, yes. or yeah, an axe right. that the Tin Man would have. Or, yes, yeah, yes, or, that's right. Yeah, and you've got to accommodate the actor too because they have to carry it or eat it or whatever, whatever they've got to do. So you've got to accommodate what pleases them as well. So you know, when I did one of the one of the Wicked one of the wizards. Um, the axe was too heavy, even though it was rubber. Um, so I had to... I just shaved a bit off and repainted it and gave it back, and I said, I think it was fine. So so you're working with the director, the designers, the actor, a yeah, whole yeah. range of yeah. stakeholders. Mm. Yeah. Many ways, the actor, the main one, because they're the one who has to use it. So where did you grow up, Bruce? Are you a Sydney boy? Mm. Seaforth. Where's Seaforth? That's... Uh, over the Spit Bridge. Right. On, up the hill. On that hill is Seaforth, but we were in the gully. We didn't have a water view. 
but my father was a boat builder on the spit. He had a boat building business there. Uh, is that what your grandparents did as well? Is that a, was it a family no, occupation? No, no, no. It was dad's business. No, my grandmother, my grandmother lived in Newtown, and dad's mother lived in Balmain. They were all they were a water family though. They lived right down near the ferry wharf, or which wasn't a ferry wharf then, but it was right down the bottom. So, did you have much exposure to the arts then in in your childhood? Were you yes, able to go to yeah, the theatre? Mum used to take the three youngest children. We used to go to. I remember going to the Tivoli, the Mayfair. We used to go and see the annual pantomime, or we'd go and see the movies, you know, at the Lyceum or even the Metro or the Hoyts and the Odeon at Manly. So yeah, we we used to. Mum used to take us around. So what about the theatre? What's what's the first sort of theatre show that you remember making an impression on you? Um, well, I know I, I know I saw the original. Jesus Christ Superstar about 12, 13 times. And it was Brian Thompson's. And I just loved the production. And Jim Sharman. Yeah, Jim Sharman, yeah. And uh, I just loved that production. And probably from then was was probably the one that struck me the the most, you know, when I was... I was still an apprentice, so it must have been 75 or 70, something around there. Because it was so different, I guess. It's a bit like uh, the way that Hamilton speaks to a youth audience today. Yes, that's right, yeah. Mm. The music and and all that sort of thing. Mm. Have you been able to work on a production of Superstar in your career? No, No? Would you like to? Um, I'd like to work the original one. (laughs) If we can go back in time. (laughs) Go back and do that. No, if they brought it out again, because I thought... I thought that was faultless, that one. That production. production. Yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful. I spoke to Brian in a few episodes ago and he acknowledges that mm. as, as a... Even the mic I work. I wish people could have seen it. Yeah, even the mic work, you know, because they had uh, leads on the mics and how they choreographed to throw the mics to people, to different cast members or get them to disappear somewhere, you know. Yeah, people don't realise that, or well, younger audiences now, I think, that, that microphones used to be handheld with yeah, a cord. Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, I, I, the, my, one of my first jobs at the Seymour Centre, we worked on um, a rock opera for the Opera, opera Australia, or the Australian Opera then, and called Hero. And that had, I was a lead puller, where you had to watch them coming across the stage and you'd pull the lead towards you, so they didn't trip over it, or that didn't end, you know, ran their feet somehow, so you'd actually lead it, lead them with the, but not like you were pulling it, just it was on the floor. Pick up the slack. Yeah, just picking up the slack, and, but it was still on the floor, but didn't look like it was moving. It was just moving with the, the person. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, there would have to be a, so a roll in the wings. people on either side of the stage just pulling that. So And releasing it when they were... Yeah, 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 just letting it out. So what sort of length of lead would be on a, a microphone? I mean, well, quite long, I imagine. Yeah, well, the, the Seymour, the York Theatre, isn't that large, but, I mean, it's quite big to have a, a length of, uh, you know... I don't know, six metres of, of, of cord that you've got to give out or, or pull in. What were your hobbies as a kid? Were you um, building models? and? Yeah, I used to build models. Um, I think that's all, really. I used to read a lot, Tintin and, and things like that. But uh, What was your favourite subject at school? Ancient history. Right. Or art. Um, art, really. Oh, well, that had the history in it as well. Creative expression. Mm-hmm. So, uh, career-wise, um, Dad's a boat builder. Mm-hmm. You're developing a, a great passion for for art, but well, you started off as 
doing an apprenticeship boat building. Yeah, well, I left school in, at fourth year because I hated school because, like, I was doing science and maths and, and well, from the maths I learned in, in fourth class, I think, was enough. I knew all the times tables, but I didn't need to know um, Pythagoras' theorem or anything like that afterwards. And so I hated having to do that. And so I left in fourth year and worked for my father in boat building for five years, apprentice tradesman. And, um, well, which is good because it gave me that foundation for making props in shows then later on, you know. Was there a thought that you might have taken over the business? Oh, God, yes, yes. Dad thought it was going to be father and son, yeah. Yeah. When I I went to art school and I left him, he didn't talk to me for about three months because, um, well, I left a trade and I was going to go bloody art school, you know, so it was like, it was strange. Like, uh, so, but he came around, when he saw me working on a show, he realised that my fault, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a good boat builder, so Dad was a very good boat builder and I was going to be, I was going to be looked at, oh, he's not as good as his father, so... I wasn't going to have that, so right. that's why I left. And I think Dad, Dad would have realised that anyway. Yeah. Because he, wouldn't, he would have known I wasn't as good as he was. And you wanted to establish your own identity too, well, I that's guess. that's right, yeah. And explore that, yeah. that passion. Yeah. yeah. So Alexander Mackey College. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the rocks. So yeah. it was a visual arts course? It was, uh, well, it was at Alexander Mackey School of Art and it, it, you could choose what you wanted to take. So I majored in sculpture, uh, drawing, and took uh, sculpture photography, and I took drawing as well, um, and printmaking. And uh, but I guess prop making or the 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 role of props master isn't even coming into your mind at this time. No, well, halfway through at Mackie, I went. I'm not sure why I did it, but I went to the Seymour Centre, and just badgered them till they gave me a job, and. Uh, I don't know, it might have been after, after Superstar, because was, this was now 76, so... And I just... And I rang them up every week, and... Because you know how theatre is very clicky, you can't get in okay. unless you know someone else or you know what to do. And um, Glenn Watson rang me up. He was the head mech there, and said they had a bump in, which was Hero, coming in on the Monday morning, and this was the Sunday evening. And um, so I went in there not really knowing what a bump-in was and started from there then. And theatre's offering you the attraction of a different type of canvas to, yeah, right. to yeah. create. Yeah. Well, Seymour was a good place because it was... A, a, Alan McDermott and Glenn Watson taught me everything. They were mechs, good mechs, which would work for Harry Miller, Harry Miller. And so they showed me how to set up a stage and... So I learned all that foundation that mechs do, but I, then I moved. They they had people coming in overseas who needed props made, and so I was sort of the obvious choice. So I started making props for them. Like uh, so, you started a different type of apprenticeship. Yeah yeah, 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 that's right. So you study your photography. You know, we 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 talked about in earlier in this conversation about cameras and mm. they're everywhere now. Did you do you travel with a camera when you tour? I used to, but with the phone now, you only need the phone now. I used to travel with the camera all the time, but the phone, I just, the phone's good resolution, so I don't bother. 
Another role which is quite fascinating on your CV, Mr. Ferguson, is a photographer of of, of a different kind. Well, different kind. I mean, the the, the uh, subjects it's that a you were, kind. <laughs> were, were were photographing uh, pornography. Yeah, I did. Uh, I photographed gay porn for uh, a friend who was starting a, a, a porn magazine, and um, of course, I'd done photography at art school. I thought, oh, I can do that, and. It was, good. Good. it was good. I used to I used to do the layouts for the for the magazine and and photograph all the merchandise and I had so many penises, rubber penises on my dining room table. I laughed because my mother was such a North a conservative North Shore woman. She would have died if she'd seen all these these uh, uh, sex op- sex toys toys on my uh, dining room table. But it was good. I enjoyed it. It was. Uh, so there was a company or a studio in Sydney at the time who were. This, this is obviously print magazines. Mm, print, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Was it a big industry? Um, well, then it was. I'm not quite sure what it is now because it's all online. So, um, and it was very hard because you you were there weren't any digital cameras, so you actually had a film. You had to get developed. So I had a man up in Kings Cross, of course, who in a. Uh, developing shop who used to do it for me develop my uh, my erections so not my erections their <laughs> erections <laughs> so me. were you directing the the, the models oh, or yes. the actors yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we, we did one on uh, Bondi Beach he, he, want, he was a guy from western suburbs who wanted to be a surfer so uh, we took the cover photo on Bondi Beach with the pavilion behind it and then we used a friend's courtyard and I put sand on the in the courtyard and painted the walls the same colour as the pavilion and took the uh, money shots there in, in the in the confines of a courtyard. But it looked good. It looked like it was set at uh, Bondi Beach then. So how did you audition or hire the, the actors? Uh, it was advertised in the magazine and then they'd um, uh, send a photo and then we'd have to they'd have to come in and we'd meet them and we'd actually ask if they could get an erection easy. It was fairly, fairly business-like <laughs> and uh, very much like you see when Ida Buttrose was doing Cleo when that all the women would line up and the, the men would come in and talk about whatever. Yeah. Right. So what was the magazine called? Classified. Classified, right. Yeah, it's not around anymore. Like print is too, so expensive to to. Why well, don't think any magazines exist no. anymore? So is that why you finished as a, a gay porn photographer? Because the, the magazine went kaput or um, you just got busy uh, making props again? Probably, yeah, probably the latter. Probably I, I got a, another a big show because that was 90... Oh, no, I started the bandstand then, so I was actually building the bandstand. So it was before the... Um, that was 90, 92, 93 when I was doing that. We really enjoyed it, though. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was really good to do. Very good. And it was art? <laughs> it was art, kind. yes. Different art that my mother would have liked, but uh, it was good. Tell me about the Bandstand Cafe in Green Park, because that's a an iconic building, which yeah. I'm sure everybody's familiar with in the Darlinghurst uh, yeah, area yeah, there. Yeah, that would be. Um, but uh, I had no idea that you, uh, you started it. Yeah, in 92, it came up for tender, and... I think there was a lull in theatre or something, and I, I, I think I thought I needed something else for, uh, for, uh, to make money. So I thought, oh well, this came up for tender, so I went in for it, and uh, blindly, and um, got it f- from South Sydney Council, 
and uh, my father, who, who the boat builder, just, uh, made all the windows and doors for me, and um, and I worked as a labourer with the the, the builder to build it, and then managed it for the time it was open, or the time I had it. So how long did you have it? I only had it for three and a bit years because the um, partnership didn't work out as right. normally happens. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I was really tired. Hospitality is the hardest hardest work you could ever do, I think. So, and you've got to be happy. Yeah. You know? And um, great position opposite the hospital. Oh, it was excellent. We used to get a lot of the patients and the nurses in, be it the hospital, hospice, or the hospital, and um, and also. At that, when I first opened, it was a beach still, and right. so I had still a lot of the boys around. And um, so, to the to the listener who's uninitiated, a, a beat is a a beat is uh, male prostitution. Yeah, and uh, but they were good. They I gave them food, and uh, they looked after the place of a night time, which was good. So when it was when you know, because we were only opening to five. And of an evening, they'd look after the place, so it wasn't The night vandalized. shifted working. Yeah, when the, the boys were out, uh, the, the the bandstand was fine. Because that was infamous in the, in the oh, 90s there, wasn't oh, it? In the, the 80s, 90s, all well, along, uh, what's that street? The, the wall, it was known as the wall, Street, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, where the toilets were, which was now the kitchen in the bandstand, that was a notorious beat in there, uh, where men would meet men. and um, But it was a fairly easy crossover into the, 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 the eatery, a different eatery, but... Uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> Lots of colourful characters. Mm, mm. What's the history of that bandstand? Do you know when it was built? Um, it was Federation, so it was... I'm not quite sure. It must have been 20... No, it must have been 1911, somewhere around there, I think. It must have been like derelict for ages. An explosion of bandstands throughout oh, Australia yes. well, at that time. Every country town. There's one similar over in Moore Park, which is very similar to the bandstand in Green Park. And there's one in the Camperdown one in, too, I think. Yes, and yeah. there's one in Glebe on uh, on Piermont Point. There, there's one there, Piermont, which was uh, very similar to design. So, yeah, they all seem to. And the one in Belmore Park is very similar as well in the city. Right. So. Um, some have lasted better than others. Belmore Park's just a depot and it's not very attractive. But a great idea to turn it into a, a cafe. Mm. Mm. In 94, you start collecting for a really exciting project, the Drag Museum. Yeah. When, and you're still collecting for that, aren't you? Yes, I am. When um, when I was at the band, when I had the bandstand, I had a, a friend and, and one of the fellows who worked with me there at the bandstand, uh, I'm not quite sure why why I started, but I thought we need a museum of drag because we're so close to Oxford Street. And so this fellow who worked at the bandstand, Brendan, and another friend of mine, Graham, we started a, girl, a trio called the Museum Girls because I was going to open a drag museum of Australia, which is history of drag in Australia. And uh, so we'd go and initially we'd just go to Gilligan's, which is... Uh, in Oxford Street and sit in the cocktail bar so people would look at these three girls, three drag queens in tunics, blue tunics and uh, just think who they are, then we'd actually start doing shows, little one-off numbers 
at the Albury and the Newtown and the Lansdowne and we got quite well known so and it was purely to promote the museum we all had scenarios we all had lives the women the people we were we, they had a, a personality they had a husbands or one was um, spinster and uh, so it was it was it was good good time and they all supposedly worked at the drag museum they <laughs> yes they did yeah, yeah. yes yes yeah. well we had we wore the drag museum uniform so with DMA on the uh, thing but always when we did it um, we'd be at the Albury and they were only the, the audience were like a meter away and you'd be like mouthing the words and I'd say this is bloody stupid you know you're mouthing words to a song to these people across the bar and I thought this is just so bloody stupid you know but uh, I did enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of things have you collected for the drag um, museum Aisha she's like a famous lay girls she gave me her caps award which was from Capriccio's in Oxford Street I've just recently got ballet shoes from uh, Reg Livermore and um, I've been promised other ones but uh, the, the girls are, are giving me costume but they haven't given them to me because they need a building first they don't want them to give to a like a fly-by-night that will I don't know wear the costumes or just yes throw them out or sell them or something but um, I've got a lot of photographs from uh, Ivy who used to own Ivy's famous Ivy's at at uh, Taylor Square and uh, a lot of video um, of Simone and uh, Simone Latroy Simone Troy and uh, from the Newtown and from the Albury and uh, Human Row he's given me one costume and he wants to give me more I've, when the when the uh, Rex Hotel in the Cross was closing I unscrewed the the sign at the front um, while it was still open which said bottoms up bar and so I unscrewed that with the security guard asked what I was doing and I said there was a woman helping I said ask her so we just kept unscrewing and he let us take it take the sign down which was good and uh, the Aubrey piano bar sign it's been so long since I've seen it all <laughs> but, it's, but it's so important it's because storage. they're all items from a, a, a history which is now being lost oh, yes, yeah, yeah. you know that that That's you right. know Oxford Street used to be the golden oh, mile yeah, yeah. of all of those That's great true. venues and clubs yeah. which uh, are now just a thing of the past a happy mm. memory for many people yes such right I mean, some of them aren't even pubs anymore they're just uh, well some of them are vacant now so but uh it will be good. It'll be more of an entertainment to go there because uh, everyone going through the museum, you'll go through it like a like a yellow brick road sort of thing, and you have to wear Dorothy shoes, which will be at the at the entrance, which you just slip on over your shoes. Um, so a very immersive experience. Oh yeah, it'd yeah. be interactive. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, when I was in Singapore and and uh, uh, Korea with Wicked. Um, I used to go to all the museums, so you take note of what's what works, what's impressive, yeah. yeah. And so I've got that all down to actually do that. That uh, you know, um, hollow like they had uh, movies which say something, and they expect you to say something back to them, and they say something. So you're actually like talking to someone, like a drag queen, yeah. and um, yeah, it would be quite, it'd be good. We look forward to it. Let's hope it's. Uh, <laughs> 
it's not very far well, away. I'm hoping when the Pride uh, Games come in, 23, Pride. Yep. in 2023, it'll be open. A friend of mine wants it, is enthusiastic about it, and um, he said next year, and I said, it can't be, it can't be next year. It's got to be done properly. It can't yep. look like it's a, a pop-up store. It's got yep. to have a big cafe, a cafe, a big merchandise shop, and a museum. <laughs> so, and maybe a rehearsal room for the drags to rehearse in. Brilliant. Mm. And just have the marking, the stage measurements of the different venues on yep. the floor, so they, like you do in theatre. Yep. Now, properties master. How, how do you define that role? What What's in the uh, the job description of, of a properties master? Well, I put it down as everything you sit on or touch is a prop or eat is a prop. Um, what about um, accessories, you know, a, a handbag or whatever? Is that, well, pro- is that costume design? Well, it's sort design? of a grey area, depending right. if, the, if the wardrobe master wants to take that on. But I consider them personal, like a personal, because usually they have a compact inside or... A handkerchief that is that the wardrobe to me should it's always a bit of a gray area the handbags and hats and things but to me it's not it's not a prop so those personal props that actors will use which might be in the handbag or whatever are you responsible for that or is that I, I mean on a nightly basis or is that the the if, actor if 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 there's like a say a compact is left on a table somewhere and I collect it, well, I give that back to... I give. I wait till the preset the next day and just check it, but give it back to the the head uh, wardrobe master to put back in the bag. I don't right. actually do... Um, I give them what what's needed, if it's something edible or, um, or being a cigarette or, or not a cigarette, but now a, a fake cigarette or a... A match, something like that. That's mine. Because an actor might finish with a prop at the end of Act 1 and Mm. then uh, have to go on and do all of Act 2 and, uh, Mm. yeah, just doesn't have the the time or or thought process to remember picking up that compact from the table. Well, yeah, that's right. So uh, usually the wardrobe, whoever's dressing the actor, we usually liaise with each other and... And he or she gives it to me or I give it to them. So whatever it may be. So your first big gig as Properties Master, am I right in um, uh, understanding that that was a Vita? No, I was no? Uh, I was number three on that, which is fine. Right. No, my, the, the playing our song was my first. with John Waters John and Jackie Waters, Weaver. Jackie Weaver, yeah. 82, I think it was. 82. Right. But you're in with J.C. Williamson's, I guess, if you're working with the Vita and then playing a song. Yes, yeah. But see, I just come from over. I just come over from the Seymour Centre to do a Vita, so I was unknown at the match, right? And at Her Majesty's, and uh, so I just, I was a props boy, which is fine because I was still learning stuff. So, did were you able to witness Patty Lapone when she came? Out? Oh yeah, I used to. Yeah, yeah, I used to love watching her. As, with, as well as Gay McFarlane, who was number two of Vita, or Matinee of Vita. Yeah. She was great as well. And the great Jennifer Murphy, who... Oh, yes. Well, I only saw her on her sort of bad night in Sydney, unfortunately. But, I mean, on the recording, she's fabulous. Yeah. 
well, I mean, a hell of a role to sing. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Backstage is a, a pretty exciting place. Sometimes it's uh, more uh, entertaining than what's happening on stage. Oh, it can be, yes. Do, do you enjoy your, do your time backstage? Yes, I do, yes, yeah. I usually keep to myself, but I observe, so, um, yeah. The opera, the opera was very good with that. There'd be uh, fights going on down in the loading dock at the opera house where, when the lift goes down with the set and somebody didn't agree with something and you'd be watching from the stage, just watching them have a fight, nearly fisticuffs down there. But it all worked out for the second act. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> Noises off. <laughs> yes. So they're playing a song. What sort of props are you having to create and find for that show? Um, well, because it's two people and a piano and a, a small ensemble as well. It was well, quite a big set because you had um, you had the bed, the big double bed, and you had all those pianos that they played at the end, the little red pianos, which you had to make sure they actually could play the notes because some of them, being toy pianos, they'd go off key, and. Um, uh, you just have to make sure make sure everything looks pretty. That's my that's my job. Like, like uh, if I go at a party and I and I'm bored with somebody, they say, "What do you do?" And I say, "Move furniture," which is what I do. And they don't know what to say because I do move furniture, but they don't know it's in theatre. Yeah, they think I just move furniture. You know, uh, it's glamorous. Yes, furniture. well, sometimes I suppose. Well, it's a really impressive um, CV for the listener who isn't aware. Bruce has been property's master on, on shows like West Side Story, Guys and Dolls, Les Mis, Turandot, Anything Goes, 42nd Street, The Sound of Music. It's, I can go on and on and yeah, on. But I'm old as well. So, you know, that's, that's the thing, I'm old. <laughs> Did you have a favourite show? Le Cage. Yeah. Le Cage was the favourite. Just because of the energy that surrounded that yeah, show? Yeah, the or? energy and... Just it's look camp it. sensibility. Well, well, they hadn't cut much of it from the New York production, so we still had that big production. And the or- the, it was an, had an orchestra, not a band. Which right. a lot of so there's lots of feathers and sequins and oh, pink. and beautiful, yeah. As opposed to something like Miz, Les Mis, which is just well, dowdy just and grey. grey. Yeah. I mean, anything grey could go in that show, yeah. Pre-production of a show, mm. you know, um, a show's coming to town. Are you contacted by a producer to say, this show's coming... We'd like you to work the, on it. Well, the as I said before, it's very clicky, and you you get people get to know you. And um, so I was working for Gordon Frost organization for a long time, and uh, through the technical production manager usually gets you if they they like you, they like your work, they'll use you. And um, so that's what happens. They 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 contact you, and. Um, you can say yes or no if you don't, you know, if you don't like the show or you're or working. Or not whatever. available. Or, yeah. And um, so it starts from there, and then that's when you get a script. You read the script um, because you can see then what props. And then you make a stage. note of everything which mm, might yeah, be needed. Yeah. yeah, and especially if I'm buying and making, um, you run through the, you, you read through the script, and you 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 put a line where there's something and then you, you put a line in the column to say what's happening or what you need and um, then they give you a props list which is usually not very good from overseas they're not thorough as they are here and um, um, I know when I did Big River all I had was the program I didn't have any production 
notes or photographs at all, just the program. And I used to had to ask um, uh, some of the cast what the props looked like mm -hmm. or what they did with them. So, but uh, usually yeah, you get the, the props list, you go through it, and then uh, if the designer comes out, you talk to the designer what he or she wants, and uh, you just go from there. What sort of lead-up time have you got to to opening night to, um, to do all of that? Well, you haven't. You've got to have them for rehearsal. So most of them for rehearsal. So I think I start depending on the size of the show. If everything's got to be made like Annie or Sound of Music, something like that, when it was all made here, um, maybe six weeks or eight weeks before rehearsals. Are there rehearsal props and then the show props? Depending. If 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 they're not available, if they haven't been made, or or they're too fragile, they have a a, a, a rehearsal prop. Um, but we try to give them as much as the real stuff as prop as possible, yeah. uh, you know, just so they can get used to it. So once the show's opened and it's running. Describe for me a day on the job. What does that involve for you? What time would you start? What What do you do once you get to the theatre? Um, other Other people do a maintenance day on a Thursday or Friday, but I chose to do it every day because you can't leave it to one day in the week. You know, things break every every performance or, or need to be tarted up somehow. So, depending on the show, like we could I used to go in in the mornings and uh, and paint. Or on the Saturday, uh, the Sunday night after the show, I'd actually paint so it was ready for the month, the Tuesday show. Then on Tuesday I'd go in to see if it was right, and in the mornings, and then I'd go back here maybe three o'clock, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. But that's days we didn't have a rehearsal, which um, most of the time, depending on the show again, they need the props people or one person props props person there so that's usually on a Thursday or Tuesday or a Thursday uh, so that's another three hours so you do some days you do five hours other days you do eight hours right. and then you have the double Sunday and double Saturday performances so I'm fascinated by the machinery of a, of a big commercial musical because you've got all these tribes that come together mm. to create the magic, you know, the musos, the mm. actors, the crew, yeah. the front of house staff, uh, and you can have up to a hundred people with oh, gotcha. any performance, yes, can't yeah, you? For sure. Yeah, it's a, well, you know, uh, wardrobe have their, their laundry in, or they do laundry on the, the Sunday night, then laundry come in on Monday or Tuesday to iron, and then put it in baskets and give out to, to wait for the dresser to give out to their dressing rooms. So you've got all that as well, sewing, maintenance, and then you've got the lighting do their maintenance, mix do their maintenance. So everyone's got uh, an area which they do and uh, do well and to make the show what it is. So when you're on tour, you know, with Wicked, you toured for seven years and you're in places all around Australia and through Asia. Does a workshop travel with you or do you have to find places in those cities where you yeah. can... You make up your... Well, you have... You have uh, a couple of boxes. You have a box with tools in it and you have uh, maybe two cabinets with spares and material and uh, uh, things like that. And you make, you usually get a corner of the theatre 
the back of the, the theatre, the stage area, where you set up a little workshop area, uh, or yeah, most of the time it's a, it's a make do, makeshift thing at the back of the the, the the stage area. Have you got much space actually backstage for to keep your props and, and your area of work? Depending on the theatre, right? You know, some of them you don't have any room. Um, which they have to hang it, hang a lot from the the, the grid uh, or the fly floor, um, but it works out. You know, as you know, the show always goes on. Maybe a bit uncomfortable, but it always goes on. So no matter what. What's a show that had a heap of props? Seem to be props for days. Well, we could have a lot of props. It's it's, it's hard because uh, we could have a lot of props, but they were. Most of the theatres, you could have them all on the on the stage instead of having them flown, right. so it was easier to to move around and maintain. Annie had a lot of furniture, and a, and a lot of cues to put furniture on pallets, which slid onto the stage. Um, it all it's all just all different. Like you might have, as Annie had a lot of bulky furniture, where we could have a smaller hand, a lot of hand props. Um, Whereas something like Les Mis, which you would imagine has a lot of props, actually doesn't. No, all it has is a lot of boxes. Well, the original Les Mis had a lot of... There were, there were six six props people on, on the original, and uh, we were just moving boxes and grey wooden furniture everywhere and carts. Um, the main prop they had there were the rifles for the barricades right. um, and spares of those, but it was mainly all furniture. What's the hardest prop you've had to acquire or, or make? Um, one of the hardest was really the, the, the breakaway chair in Le Mis because it couldn't break till he actually slammed it to the ground. This is in this the is original when, production. This um, is Valjean is fighting Javert, Javert in the, ho- in the, in the hospital, hospital room. After with... Fontaine's just died. And um, uh, in the original, yes, it had to be stiff till he actually slammed it onto the stage where... Sometimes it just wouldn't hold up. It, it, it'd sag a little bit. It'd still stay sort of in the shape, and you go, "Oh no!" You know, you just. But that was sort of hard to, because if anyone knocked it in the wing before it went on, it could slightly fracture the the dowling that was in there. So you go, and you wouldn't know till it was actually on set on the revolve spinning around. Food is food is another thing that's difficult because you've got to keep it fresh. You've got to keep it fresh, and you've got to keep what the actor wants or likes because they've got to drink it or eat it eight shows a week or six shows a week, and so um, you yeah, keep it fresh so they don't get food poisoning. And um, so you've got a fridge, obviously, that you've got oh, access to. Yes, we have. Yeah. <laughs> we, we use a fridge somewhere in the building. Do you have to be a chef at times and actually make up a meal, or um, I haven't had to in, in musicals, but in the opera you do. You you have to have, you have to have meals. I burnt one once and it had to go on, and they still ate it, or the chorus still ate it. They're fairly hearty, cast iron stomachs. They still ate it all, but um, the opera they you use a lot of food. I suppose a penis. Cigarette lighter is pretty bizarre. <laughs> but what are some other bizarre props that you've been required to uh, provide? Um, when I did pageant for Harry Miller, Harry Miller, um, it was it was a 
it was a musical on drag queens. There was all drags doing women's doing a beauty contest, so they had to have talent quests, and so you had to make all all their little um, uh, instruments or or what they were going to use, and uh, all their makeup all had to be bigger than life. And there was a vacuum cleaner, which was a powder puff, which it was used as a powder puff. And then she spilled some on her costume, and then she had to be able to vacuum it off with her with her compact, which was a shape of a shell. So I had a a computer cleaning little vacuum cleaner inside it, which used to actually get rid of it really well. It's been a lot, but I think that's one of the nicest ones I made. But and it actually was utilitarian as well. It was good. It was very good. Had you worked in other mediums? You know, any film or I did. I did a. I did well. I was a. Do- I worked on two films, and I was a dog's body on both. And I worked in television as a dog's body, but I don't really like them because I like that. You stand around an awful long time, and I like that instantaneous uh, thing of, of the theatre, where if they like you, you get an applause. If you don't, well, you've got a flop usually. You know, so, <laughs> and I, I guess you've been on. Um, both of those experiences. Yeah, I've, I've done a few flops, yes. I've worked a few flops, so, but that's okay. Do you ever find the reviews mention the props? Have you ever had any reviews? Uh, no. No? No. That's a shame. But then, no, but then that probably would if a prop, um, something happened with a, without a prop. Like a friend of mine was doing um, Agnes of God and he forgot to load the blood for her stigmata right. and when she put her palms out, her wrists out, nothing came out of her, the line that ran down to her palm. So she had no stigmata, which <laughs> that's a bad thing to do in a show. But the only thing I, I think I, I, I can remember badly that I forgot was I, I forgot to hang a apron on uh, I Love My Wife at the Madge and Peter Tapano had a cami knicker on and this was the thing that covered her up for the rest of the scene and I forgot to set it on the fly piece. And so when she went to get it, it wasn't there. So she had to do another 20 minutes in just a, her a cami knicker, her underwear, which she wasn't very pleased when she came off stage. <laughs> so, <laughs> Was that famous story too of Helen Bidet when she was at NIDA doing Romeo and Juliet and, uh, you know, Juliet's sitting there behind uh, what she assumes is, is Romeo's, oh, it is Romeo's, dead body so she goes to uh, kill herself with the dagger but the dagger's not there so she crawled over to a pillar on the set and bashed her head against it <laughs> to uh, to get rid of Juliet <laughs> when props behave badly mm-hmm. yes um, so what are the main materials that you use to create these props fiberglass rubber um, woods everything really yeah whatever it Every- needs everything yeah yeah Fiberglass, yeah, not much fiberglass. It's mainly wood, rubber, latex, fabrics, just fabrics as well. So, do you have an opening night ritual that you go through? Are you superstitious in the theatre? No, I'm not. No, just turn up and let's just do it. It wins the party. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Do you like touring? Is that? I like touring. Yes, I do. um, You do get in a, a a routine of it all, even even if the people don't speak English very well you you do, do it all gets done 
How do you cope with the repetition of long runs, doing the same thing every night? I, well, I suppose it is different every night. But When I first started Wicked, <clears throat> when we had been... On, I think after 14 months on Wicked, I went into a, 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 a valley and I thought, oh, this is terrible, just doing this every night. <clears throat> and because we had a lot of uh, rehearsals, putting all the understudies in, um, so it was like quite a long quite a long week and um, after probably 18 months I started coming out of that valley and I was fine after that you, know, you, you sort of ignore the show in many ways and you don't even hear the music some of the times you're just doing your doing what you have to do and then sometimes you watch the show and you go ah so yeah well every one of those other 99 people in the company are doing their own thing as well that's right you know? yes that's right yeah contributing to the magic mm. which is theatre so what is it about that the lifestyle and um, the job that has kept you committed to telling stories on a large canvas I like working every evening I like working the night I like the days off when I have them when I do have them uh, and I like the creative the whole creative thing I do like working with the director and the designer even working with the production manager to try to keep on budget or near budget it usually does happen it's usually working with a designer I like I like like that a lot because they're also very different I took when I was doing the original wizard I took the designer to uh, a lighting place out on Parramatta Road and I said oh let's go and have a look at the dumpster behind to see if there's a I needed a big a big light for the uh, uh, the, the, yes, the, 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 the crystal ball. The crystal, crystal ball. ball. Crystal yeah. ball. They needed a big one. So we went and had a look at the dumpster, and there happened to be a smoky acrylic ball in there, like a light fitting. And so we took that out. And he even said, I said, he said, I've never looked for a show in a dumpster before. And I said, Well, you've got to try these things. And so sometimes, most of the time, you get on well with them. Sometimes they just hate you from the onset create differences or well I'm I follow them I've got to follow them because it's their show so um, but just a personality clashes happen so you just try to go through that and be it they're in the wrong or I'm in the wrong you just got to go through that and um, do whatever they want well Bruce thank you for, for sharing uh, an insight into the uh, the art and craft of the the properties master I mean I remember I had the a pleasure of working with you on one particular show and you're an absolute delight and made the job uh, so much fun to do so um, what's a good job (laughs) (laughs) thanks Bruce wasn't that an interesting conversation so much time energy and passion invested into creating vivid and vital accessories that add yet another dimension to the images we relish from the stage It's a very unique role and one of great artistry. Thanks to Bruce, who enthusiastically shared his craft and demonstrated why he is one of the best. Thanks for joining us today. It's always a joy to have your company. I'm Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to The Stages Podcast. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.